Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Truth and Movies. In this instalment, Murder on the Orient Express, we review Kenneth Branagh's steaming whodunit, the perfect film for Christmas, because it's a giant turkey. And... Greek tragedy in Yorgos Lanthimos, killing of a sacred deer. Colin Farrell stars as a surgeon with the personality of a sturgeon in this staggering film, which will probably fawn over. And Film Club, Halloween special, it's House of the Devil. Truth and Movies, it's a Little White Lies podcast. There you go, that's your lineup today. We think they're interesting films to talk about. But we'll find out together, listeners, in the company of Adam Woodward. Hello. And a welcome back to Elena Lazic. Hello. What have you been up to, Elena? Watching movies, writing about them. Okay, which Living ones? Living my life. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Well, uh, we'll get a little window on, on some of that in the course of this show. Remember, you can get in touch with us, and we do appreciate it when you do, via email, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, LWLies on Twitter, the Facebook site, and also on the website, where there's a comments section couple of people posting on that of late harry jenkins who was appreciating hump for the wilder people as the film club pick uh he says it illustrates how serious and important comedies can be it was a very poignant allegory for broader relations between white and maori people have you seen that film elena hunt for the wilder people i actually watched it like last week okay on Broadway, and what did you because think i was just uh, um i quite liked it but i not as much as I wanted to. All right. I, I think, actually, I think Taika Waititi's humour is kind of more, better shown in Thor. Which, really, yeah. I don't know. We had a long chat about Thor last time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Carrington, Simon Russell Beale on screen, his best film role is in Terence Davis, The Deep Blue Sea. Now, there is one for Film Club. Have you seen that, Adam? It is, yeah. It's a good shout, that. It's like Tom Hiddleston and... Rachel Vice, I think. It's really? Like a really Quite yeah, a cast. Sort of old, melodramatic, kind of post-war drama. It's very good. All right. Okay. Well, I like a film with a nice cast, wow. and that's certainly yeah. what Kenneth Branagh brings us in today's first offering, which is Murder on the Orient Express. So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not... Well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered. God, murder here. God rest his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me. 
If there was a murder, what is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us. And every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I'm probably the greatest detective in the world. His accent's almost as convincing as yours, Elena. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Isn't it? This, um, not so much a who done it as a why done it, I would say. Uh, there's a murder on the Orient Express. Happily, the world's greatest detective is on board, and there's snow on the line, which will sound familiar to commuters, and that means he's got loads of time to deduce who the culprit is. Do you have strong feelings about this film, Elena? No. I do. <laughs> Good. Kenneth Branagh here with what I think is intended to be a film like they used to make them. Yes, it does feel like a throwback, and not just in the in the literal sense of it being a, an adaptation of a very old and very well-known story. It's not the first time it's been brought to the big screen either. There's a few adaptations. I think Sid Lumet did a version in the 70s. It's got much better cast than this, actually. I think you've got John Gilgood and Ingrid Bergman's in it, um, Lauren Bacall. And there's a TV movie from, I think, like the 90s where they they sort of made it uh, shorter by literally cutting the cast in half. So you've only got like six suspects, which is great. <laughs> this one starts off on a very bizarre note I think and gets stranger and then just kind of grinds to a halt literally mm. at the point at which the murder happens if you know the story and you know the ending and, and the sort of twist then you know there's really nothing for you to get from this film I think he doesn't do anything interesting or, or kind of new with the story it's quite a faithful adaptation I think suffers for that a little bit I also think that because of the nature of the story which has such a huge cast I don't think all those actors because some of them I think are great like William Defoe is there even if they're great, like they don't get to do much, so mm. it feels a bit like a waste. It's a bit like watching a big game of Cluedo taking place yeah. on the kind of northern line or yeah. something. Yeah, it's very much the, the the Kenny B show. I mean, he yes. directs, stars in this. It feels like a massive vanity project. He's given uh, Poirot this ridiculous sort of double-layered moustache, which I'm not sure how faithful it is to the original character, but it was a real distraction for me. Apparently, Agatha Christie fans are, are up in arms about the... The lack of verisimilitude of the, of the moustache. Oh, well, there you go. But, uh, yeah, not the only issue that by any means with this film. I think also the fact that they're aiming for that classic old-fashioned film, a well-crafted picture, but it's really, it really falls short in so many ways. I think one obvious way is, is the very clumsy manner in which they've done some product placement in this film. If you're trying to sell this as a prestige movie and you keep hawking boxes of chocolates on the side, <laughs> it just... What issues did you have with it, Elena? I think you're saying he tried to make it like a classical movies that we used to do them, but I think it's it feels watching the film that he has not much faith in the material, as in like all the dialogue is said really fast, mumbled. The subtleties of the dialogue, which are great, the, the subtleties of the story, I think, are really amazing and really like shouldn't be completely destroyed the way he does with like really loud music like there's an action sequence that just feels completely at odds with anything else like mm. when he fights that man with his cane it's just like the avalanche in the, the mountain is just like he tries to make it an action film in those sequences and I just don't understand why and the dialogue is great because there's all those subtleties of the characters who are all double faced and at the beginning you think it's just another Poirot story with rich people murdering each other for money and it's just like oh they all live in another world but then there's this twist and you realise that it's not just a Poirot story where all the well, the, the rich people 
kill other people because they want their money. It's just something much more human than that. Yeah, there should be a much more of an emotional weight behind that part of the story, which I thought he did a very bad job of conveying. It also arrives at this sort of moral junction, I suppose, at the end. And it left me, it was very unsatisfying because, you know, he builds up Poirot as this character of unimpeachable, um, you know, moral intellect. And he just kind of chucks all that away at the end. And it's just bizarre. It's like you've kind of inherited this character, this classic literary um, hero, basically. And and you've kind of, yeah, drawn out his like worst qualities in Mm. a way. It's a strange decision. I think that's also due to the fact that I don't think, I'm sorry if I said this, but in this film anyway, I don't think Kenneth Branagh's really good. I don't think he should be the one playing Prowl. So at the end, when he has this, you know, it's like a big crisis for him to like have to make that decision or not make that decision. And I don't think Reed really felt for him in that moment because he played it so artificially. Like he never felt like a real person. He just felt like someone with a moustache and he was really... Not satisfying. I think I agree. There is an attempt, I think, to cast us into submission here with with the lineup: Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer, Branagh himself, Olivia Colman, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Derek Jacobi. I would say I wasn't actually bored during the film, so you know it, it did pass by. Mm. Uh, it, there were some nice shots of steam trains and stuff, and and lots of actors going. Yeah. But also they handed out sausage sandwiches on the way in, which is always a bit of a red light on the dashboard. Well, this, the screening that we, me and you went to, mm. they put on a, a, a fairly small press screening for maybe like 30 people in like the biggest cinema in Leicester Square. And from, for the life of me, I couldn't work out why. And then I realised afterwards it's because he shot it on 65mm. Ah. So they projected it in this like wide format film, which he didn't need to shoot it in, in 65mm. Well, so if you're doing CGI anyway, does it work to...? It, it can complement it. I mean... Ideally, yeah, he's making a kind of classic picture. A lot of the wider panoramic shots in this film, you just it's just CGI train going through some like beautiful landscapes. Mm. Some of it looks like the Tintin. Do you remember the Spielberg Tintin film? It's a similar <laughs> level. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and I would happily watch a, a, a film version of of that. You know, right. with, with, done in that style. But Branagh's idea of what this film is is very different to the reality of the film. I think. Right. Okay. Bit of a miss then for Kenneth Branagh. What's he been up to lately? Uh, well, he's in Dunkirk. Of course. He pops up in, in things as an actor and just obviously a lot of stage work as well. Mm. Um, I think this is the first thing he's directed since Cinderella a couple of years ago, which was a, a big hit. And I'm sure he'll be doing more of those kind of things. He, he's a sort of fairly safe pair of hands directorially. And I think this one may well make money as well. I don't right. understand who will want to see it because half of the people know the story and the other half, I don't know, like... I think that given the time of year, it's it's Maybe, it's going to yeah. be a big Christmas film that, because it has that feeling of the kind of movie that you would watch with relatives or. I think if this was a ninety-minute TV movie and it came on at Christmas and you know you could sit and watch it with your with your nan, it would be great. Right. Um, and if they maybe camped it up a little bit more, I feel like oh, yeah. they didn't make enough of that, um, and and the sort of period detail. It's quite lavish very evocative time period and yeah it felt quite kind of flat tonally actually was it just me that took exception to the contemporary chocolates what were the chocolates no i saw them i, I was really shocked by and that. i walked past their shop afterwards and they got a big display in the window <laughs> what is it like m&ms or something no 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 it's it's uh, that would be entertaining but no it's it's not it's a luxury brand of chocolates which right. is from various points in the film it pops up with it's so strange it's really strange oh done. i have a sort of like product placement filter where i just Do you? yeah yeah i just don't sort of oh well done but anyway runs out of steam would we say I think, I think so yeah I yeah. really really barely leaves the station Oof. if we're going to run with train analogies <laughs> nice yeah. um, numbers 
maybe like three for anticipation there's a curiosity undeniable mm. curiosity factor around this film as in why is he doing it why and like <laughs> oh no I was actually really looking forward to this having seen the I think the, the trailer makes it seem that there's a bit more of a modern spin on this than yeah than with the music is. that's mm. like yeah. I think maybe Kanye West or something and you're like I need that I'm sorry to say Kanye West does not pop up he does in this movie no yeah. if they could have been a bit more inventive or creative with the casting as well just throw someone bit from left field in there like a pop star so you know maybe put like lady maybe Gaga somebody actually somewhere. from left field well yeah there yeah. you go yeah. maybe have him being played by a belgian person yeah for once that would we could get a good. great accent has he ever i've got some notes here on hold on everybody i've got some notes here here's a list of the people who have played hercule poirot well david suchet is the most david well known, suchet yeah that's the tv version and I think, albert though. finney played him in the 1974 Back in sydney lumet it's sydney lumet is it i had no idea the t was pronounced oh, i don't know no yeah oh, okay. i'm pretty sure it is alfred molina and mansa nomura in 2015 not a version i'm familiar with but no. kenneth Branagh, the fifth actor to embody uh, agatha christie's famous detective and interestingly at the end in the contemporary fashion they set themselves up for another in the series yeah bizarrely i mean yeah i think a three in anticipation a two at the time and maybe a one i mean if on that news if they're going to do another one yeah. my, my anticipation <laughs> for that would be a one so i'm going to right. say one for in retrospect on Th- this that'll do for me elena anticipation i guess it would be f- say free because i mean i thought the, the trailer was really funny I, w- I was hoping it would be hilarious but i don't think it was so enjoyment i would say two but mm. it was nice to see as much as I don't want Johnny Depp to get jobs because he beats women, it was nice to see him be the victim here, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, I thought it was really boring and and not not necessary at all. So two, and then in retrospect, yeah, one because hmm. it's just a waste of time. Interesting uh, area that takes us into to what extent someone's craft, our appreciation of their craft, should be uh, influenced by our awareness of. of, of I, f- I feel like it. I feel person. like it's difficult to separate them a mm. lot of the time, even if you know you don't want to kind of judge someone for, for something they've done in their personal life. If you know something about someone, it's hard to, you know, separate that. I mean, the, the news that's been kind of rolling on this week, I think we yeah. mentioned on a, this podcast a few weeks ago about, you know, the, the sexual um, abuse scandal in Hollywood. And that is now, uh, we predicted that it would roll on and it has. I think it's just good to give people the choice. Like we just to yeah. tell people, okay, this actor has done this. I mean, you decide if you want to pay them, if you want to see the movie. But I think it's better to tell people yeah I mean the way this is kind of unfolding now look ahead to like the Oscars and they're going to be wow, giving out awards people, to like mm-hmm. a half empty room I mean, it's yeah. going to be a weird time yeah so there you go parts of Agatha Christie's original plot based on a very celebrated case and as I say I think that's really wasted the kind of whole emotional import of a very dark business kind of just glossed over in this film and that's Murder on the Orient Express up next for us The Killing of a Sacred Deer Killing of a Sacred Deer, the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos, concerns what happens when Stephen, a successful surgeon, takes a teenage boy under his wing uh, and the unexpected consequences for his wife and two children. Here's a moment between Stephen and the boy Martin, played by Barry Keown. Can I tell you a secret? Don't tell her I told you. I think she, I think she likes you. I mean, she's attracted to you. But she says that's not true, but it is, I'm sure. And to be honest, I think you're perfect for each other. You'd make a great couple. She's got a great body. You've seen it for yourself. She lost weight and she's a really great figure. 
Your mother is very beautiful, but the idea that she and I could ever be together is ludicrous. Let me remind you, I'm a married man. And I love my wife very much, and my kids, and that we are very happy together. And for your information, you're absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Ooh, my skin is crawling already, Elena. <laughs> Why? Because it's such a creepy film, this. Oh, it is. And, and, and Martin, played by Barry Keown, is... He's great. So unsettling. He is. Because also I think this movie, because the youngest Lanthimos thing that he seems to be doing now is to have these actors who are all quite famous. I mean, mm-hmm. in Doctor, they weren't famous, but they're in, from Lobster on, apparently they're all famous and Colin Farrell's been there. To get these actors and have them play in a very minimalistic style, just say the dialogue without having any emotions. And it's very creepy by itself. But then you have Barry Keane, who plays this character, this young kid, who kind of plays it more normally. And that's one of the many ways in which he's an element of chaos in the film. Right. It's a really interesting idea that Lanto seems to be pursuing here, that cinema or theatrics are essentially a construct and you don't need um, a realistic performance. You, all you need almost is just to reenact the movements. And imagine this has been picked up on, but I mean, he's Greek and this is so strongly evocative of Greek tragedy, no? The notion of fate and the implacable consequences of your own actions and I believe as well the title comes from uh, an element a, a kind of a, a, one of the classic elements of Greek tragedy the the killing of a sacred deer uh, yes it's based on a classical uh, Greek myth that's really quite just as harrowing mm. Colin Farrell apparently felt nauseous after he read for the, uh, the film the script had that much impact but in a good way I mean it is a, from the opening shot of a little bit of open-heart surgery. It's really unsettling, this film. But the filming, the way that it's put together, I mean, every scene is composed in magnificent fashion. Yeah, I think it's actually real heart surgery that's taking place there. It's not mocked up or anything. So yeah. it does set the tone for just a really uncomfortable, uneasy ride, and he does deliver on that. I think my issue with it is that it starts off um, as a really ambiguous story. Um, Colin Farrell and this, and this young boy have a sort of vague connection you don't really know much about either one and why they're kind of behaving the way they are towards each other. And eventually, Lanthimos kind of shows his hand with the story and it reveals the, the nature of their relationship. And I think from that point, I just became a little bit less interested in the, in the whole thing. Really? I think it carries on in a, in a really interesting way, but it also sort of sets out exactly what's going to happen and delivers exactly on that. Mm. Um, so, that you, yeah, I just I love the way he crafts this sort of dark ambiguity through very, very pitch black humour and as much as he does carry on through the film I think the point almost midway through the film at which he's like here's what's going to happen right I just it just kind of lost me I agree he does show his hand but then it becomes such a an effectively suspenseful almost horror film that I didn't mind particularly the, the loss of the the ambiguity there's so many humorous touches in this film there's bold and cheeky moves as well like having a clip of um, Groundhog Day in the middle of it which is a really dangerous thing for any filmmaker to do because you naturally just want to keep watching that film. I know that there were some moments that were like funny, but I didn't find it funny mm. at all. Because I thought The Lobster was really funny yeah. in a very interesting, innovative way, like really dark. But what made the humour work to me is that, that there was so much um, heart and love in the film, in The Lobster. Right. Whereas I didn't think there was that much compassion in The Killing of Sacred Day. I thought it was very artificial and kind of... Because in The Lobster, it's that world that's like horrible and like people can't have emotions. But then there's this love story that happens. Whereas in this, it's like yet another criticism of the family unit where people don't actually love each other. 
And I just, I didn't think it was as interesting and moving. Okay. The Lobster I really enjoyed for the first two thirds, but the last half hour just left me bewildered. Uh, but I, I, I did like something which you have in this film again, that idea of a, a, a world constructed around an impossible but implacable logic. Mm. Uh, that people try and escape from and, and ultimately can't, which is very much present in this. But I really thought this film was impressively put together. It wasn't, for me, an enjoyable watch at all. I mean, I had to go and have a lie-down afterwards. <laughs> it was it was that upsetting. But how easy is it, do you think, for the actors to take part in a film like this, to perform in such an almost machine-like fashion? I, I don't know if it's easy, but it must be really fun. <laughs> I would love to do that. I think it would be really... Especially someone like Colin Farrell... I mean, it's almost like not a kind of anti-performance, but he's he's not really acting in any way that you would expect from him or have seen him before. All of his little ticks and mannerisms and inhibitions are sort of cast away, and yeah, it's kind of fascinating from just a performance point of view. This film. Mm. Okay, Elena, you're not crazy about it, though. No, I'm not. I was kind of disappointed because people have said so many amazing things about it, but um, I thought it was a bit glib. I thought it was. You know, someone trying to make a cynical film and not having that many great ideas behind it. And I thought it was, I had already seen it before, kind of. Mm. And it was kind of disappointing as well because I, when I watched The Lobster, I was kind of blown away. And I thought, oh, there's so much in that world, there's so much imagination, there's so many elements that are funny and create an entire world. And whereas right. this, I thought it was such a, I thought it would have been more funny and interesting if you had thought about all the details and like make it more complex. And I didn't really like the like uh, chamber effect of it. Okay. I mean, I know what it's meant th- to be it's upsetting and like, it's creepy. And I, I thought that was like, I mean, obviously that's what he wants to do and it's really well done. Right. But I thought it was kind of to no purpose. What would you say about Martin, uh, about Barry Keown's performance as Martin? Oh, I think he's great. I mean, he was already great in Dunkirk, even though he didn't do much. But yeah, I mean, um, he was really a highlight. I want to see him in more films. Right. Uh, impressive cast, which also features Nicole Kidman working with Colin Farrell again, and also Alicia Silverstone. Mm. Yeah, um, good to see how she turns up as Martin's mother, um, and has a particularly, I think, the, my favourite scene actually, the the scene where yeah. she's uh, trying to corral Colin Farrell's character. I think that's genuinely a funny yeah. and horrible scene. Yeah, Both. one of the many. Okay, Elena's <laughs> um, not a fan. Adam, you? Um, as I say, it just sort of lost me. At maybe like the midway point. I was left with this sense of like, what's he trying to say or achieve here? Yeah, me too. And if it is just to make you feel miserable, I don't think it is. I personally, I, I think the reason that I was so affected by this is because um, the enormous guilty conscience that I take around <laughs> with me. And I, I mentioned that this harks back, I think, in many ways to the Greek classical notions of the inevitable consequences of your own actions that they will catch up with you, whatever intentions you might have since, and. The notion of a man unable to escape his fate, a fate of his own creation, is something that really hit me hard. It's quite pitiless, the depiction of that. And uh, I found that actually really struck home. I'm not sure I found it as, quite as incisive as that. Okay. Um, yeah, I just was wondering, you know, beyond the obvious like bleakness of it all, there wasn't really a lot else there to sort of latch onto. Like you say, in The Lobster, you have this romance that sort of develops later on into the plot. And with this, Lanthimos sets up this ultimatum about midway through the film, and the rest of the film is about what's going to happen there, basically. Mm. Colin Farrell has a decision to make, and um, I just didn't find it interesting either way. Really? Because I found that ranked uh, up there with... I don't watch a lot of horror Mm. films, but with... It's a bit like, I would imagine, not having seen any of them, the Saw films, like, do you chop your leg off to (laughs) get away? 
Yeah, I guess so. And maybe if it was pitched more as a sort of conventional horror film, I would have responded to it a bit more. I okay. don't know. I, I just felt um, like he creates this very uneasy atmosphere. But to me, it just didn't really mount up to much. All right. A broad spectrum of opinions once again here on Truth and Movies. Elena, would you like to express numerically your feelings on this film? Well, Anticipation, I would say um, four, because I really like The Lobster. Even though I had heard mixed things about this one from people I trust. <laughs> and then uh, Enjoyment, I would say f- f- three, maybe like between two and three, because I was really disappointed. And I was, there were, like even the opening shot, I thought was like basic and not, scary I mean we all have like human hearts like, I'm not really scared of that anymore I think I've seen so many films I'm just like yeah cool okay. um, anyway and I could tell he was trying to make it like shocking and I was just like why are you trying to be shocking it's not interesting but anyway and in retrospect I would say still free because as we just I think demonstrate it's an interesting film to talk about mm. and I think it's more interesting than most films out there and it's still worth seeing. And I, I am still looking forward to what Younger Slam Famous is going to do next. And the performances, like I think Colin Farrell has like, done some of his best works in his movies. So Really great beard work as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah, I'm with you on, on the Colin Farrell thing. I think he's really like challenging himself as an actor mm. with working like um, with people like Yorgos Lanthimos and I think for me I'd give this a four for anticipation based not on Lobster so much but on um, Dogtooth and some of his earlier f- films uh, maybe a three at the time I think it's just, just a two in retrospect it didn't have enough like rewatch value for me okay I find it hard to put numbers on this because it was so unpleasant to watch but I thought it was a really well made film I really found his artistic exploration of the whole notion of how much you need to have actors act in a film as I say everything being a construct in the same way that Colin Farrell doesn't need to do an American American accent if he's in a film does he actually need to act or can he just report the lines so I thought that was really interesting I really found the whole what I took to be the philosophical theme of the film uh, interesting as well but did I have fun watching it no uh, I would say anticipation, not, nothing particularly high, and I, but I think it's a really good film. I think if you judge a film on like the, the director's intentions and mm. to what extent they fulfil that, then you know he's clearly you know ticks the box, a big box there because he ticks. He, yeah, he so did. it's not necessarily an, an, an enjoyable film in the conventional sense, but it is an effective film if you buy into the like atmosphere and the mood that, that he sets out. Right. Excellent. Okay. Killing of a Sacred Deer out this Friday, as is that business on a train. This week's film club is up after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you here for mother? Yes. Yes, I am. Wonderful. You're a godsend. It's nothing. Not to us, it's not. Well, I'm glad to do it. Hmm. Vivian Ullman. Samantha. Sam. Nice to meet you. What's the matter, Sam? Oh, um, nothing. I just, I thought, um, your husband went upstairs looking for you, and I didn't expect to see you come in from over there. I just... I get disoriented sometimes. My friend Megan says I'm out to lunch. I was downstairs in the basement looking for my furs. I just can't get used to this cold weather. I love the heat. We're from the desert, you know. House of the Devil, everybody. In 1983, financially struggling college student Samantha Hughes takes a strange babysitting job that coincides, uh uh-oh, with a full lunar eclipse. She slowly realizes that her clients harbour a terrifying secret, one which puts her life in mortal danger. What did listeners think of this then, Elena? Daniel Fiddler said, my favourite horror film of all time. Uh, Lewis Edwards said, great film, nails the 80s look exquisitely. Yeah, we had a nice uh, longer email from Jeff, just as Jeff, uh, who says, I've listened to the podcast since the beginning, but it's the first time he's actually been able to catch one of our film club picks. And he says, uh, seen a number of your selections already, I guess, so that's why. But yeah, interesting choice, left me in the middle of the road. On the one hand, it's amazing how 80s the film feels. Uh, If you didn't know any better, you'd swear it was made 30 years ago and not eight. That in itself is impressive. As for the horror movie element of it, though, it's pretty stock standard. And I kind of think that's the point of the film in really? a lot of ways. Yeah, he's he's trying to do something which is such a clear pastiche of 80s, like low-budget horror movies that I almost feel it feels too accurate in its depiction of that. Paul says, Ahoy, crew. A film in two sections that I eventually enjoyed. Two-thirds production value of Emmerdale and the pace of a five-course meal in an old people's home, then one-third extreme gore punctuated frenetic Lucio Fulci. Is it Lucio Fulci? Yeah. Lucio. Lucio. But yeah. What do I call him? Lucio. Yeah. Yeah, Lucio. Thanks to say. Lucio Fulci-esque madness. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting comments because, you know, this is all intentional on the part of director Ty West, and basically nothing happens in the film. Uh, it's a quite a short film, it's like 80 minutes. Nothing happens really until the last like 15 or so minutes in terms of the, the horror aspect of it. Um, and he constructs this almost like mundane, small town kind of story of this, of this young girl and her friends. And there's so many scenes which are just very, very little happening. 
and you're kind of being lulled into this sense of full security, I suppose. And oh, I was, I didn't feel secure because of that. I felt completely terrified. Oh, like I said, anything could happen so at any time. Yeah. I was so tense throughout the film, even though like nothing was happening until the very end because I was just like, why is it so slow? Why is the camera not moving? Why is there that empty space in the frame? Is something going to happen? And I thought it was brilliant because it's so minimal. Like he had, and if you think, if you look at the film, so many things are just in close up because I think it's because they couldn't afford to make everything look like the 70s or the 80s. Right. So they had to like focus on like, there are just a few settings and like no people there because we can't just have everyone wearing the clothes from the time. And I thought it was so brilliant. Like he really used his limitations brilliantly. Shot on a on a budget and very very quickly. I think eighteen days for the whole production. Mm. But uh, yeah, playing with your expectations of of what an empty space will mean, mm. of the, the implied. Or just the fact that nothing happens. Mm. You're know, just like, well, something really horrible is going to happen because there's so much anticipation. And even even like the title cards or the opening mm. like, title when it appears on the screen, you know, it announces in massive yellow letters this is a horror film basically and you're watching it thinking you know have they have they put on the wrong tape here like what's <laughs> what's going on um and when it delivers i think it delivers like pretty well in in the in the horror stakes towards the end um, okay it's yeah depends what, you, you know, what your liked, threshold is for that stuff i guess but yeah i thought it wasn't completely terrifying but it was uh fun and silly ending mm. still scary but not like the scariest thing i've ever seen but still really scary what is the scariest thing you've ever seen Elaine? oh i don't know i mean I don't know. They say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Really, I've never seen that. I get really easily spooked in films. One of the scariest films I remember seeing at the cinema was The Others, which makes me sound like... No, no, that's really chilling. I love a a kind of ghost story. Like, gore doesn't really do a lot for me, as much as I can take enjoyment from the kind of practical craftsmanship of it. But, yeah, watching that... The Others was a fantastic film. That was... um, That's Nicole Kidman as well. Yeah, Um, the director was... Alejandro Amenabar, I think his okay. name is. Um, he's made a few other films, but I think that's probably his best one. What about Ty West? What else has he done since? I'm not sure whether this was his feature debut, but if not, it was one of his early ones. Uh, he made a film artist called The Innkeepers, which we actually ran on the cover of Little White Lies in a, like a midnight movies double special with uh, The Raid. Innkeepers is a bit more comedic in tone, and it's set in a kind of hotel basically where all manner of horrors happen. And he's done a few things since then, maybe not like delivered on the promise of the innkeepers and certainly House of the Devil but he's an interesting one to kind of watch Eleni you mentioned that you'd Uh, yes he made that movie The Sacrament which is basically based on the Jonestown Massacre Uh, but like what what I really like is that it's uh, almost uh, completely accurate everything that happens in the film if you read the wiki page of what happened it's literally what happened oh really but um, because I think it's really respectful to make it just inspired by because this is literally all we know we don't really know how it felt to live there and it's just there's not much enjoyment level to that film but it's just very very accurate and gives you a sense of how this could have happened and it's quite brilliant well that's House of the Devil what will we be having for Film Club next week well amongst our featured films next week Elena is Paddington 2, mm-hmm. which I know you're excited by. Mm-hmm. And Paddington 2 director Paul King is going to be joining us in the studio. Ahead of that, he has actually nominated a film for next week. Hello, my name's Paul King. I'm the director of Paddington 2. And for the film club, I have chosen Frank Capra's 1939 masterpiece, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. So that's next week's film club. Many thanks to Paul King for that. And, and we'll be hearing much more from him in next week's Truth and Movies when we discuss Paddington 2. And also the Florida Project. Finally, I get to see this film that everybody's talking about. Oh, it's amazing. It's great. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Just in case I'm not on next week. All right. I'm just going to say that I love the Florida Project. 
and I loved it. I think from the first like five seconds of the film, right. I was like, I'm, I'm going to love this film. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, that's nice then. Not to build it up too much in your expectations. No, great. Well, it, it looks like being a fan, another fantastic edition of Truth and Movies next time out then. If you'd like to uh, send in any comments and questions, as ever, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is the email address. LW Lies on Twitter. There's our uh, website, Little White Lies. And, uh, well, we look forward to hearing from you. Elena, thank you so much for being with us. Have you got any other film-related news or otherwise you'd like to drop before we uh, shut up shop? Um, No, not really. I mean, I would love to hear what um, people watch for Halloween. Yes. Adam? I actually went to see Call Me By Your Name again Ah, uh, for the third time. Third time? I had a, had a joy watching it again, yeah. Went went to a, an actual cinema with real people and it was, right. it was great seeing sort of people's reactions. So there was a lot of laughs actually I was uh, not oh, expecting, wow. but people, right. you know, laughed at the appropriate moments. But yeah, it was, it was good. I think it's always good to catch up again on people's views on films that they may or may not have reviewed here before. Elena, you've seen Call Me By Your Name? Oh, yes, I have. And were you very much a fan? Oh, yes, I was. Okay, I'm the only one who it, it slightly passed by. What did you watch for Halloween? Uh, nothing, actually. Oh. I've, I've also been watching Stranger Things 2. Yeah, I saw the first two episodes, but I've which, got a long way to go on Which that. is very easy viewing, and, you know, that's not a criticism. It's mm. well, well put together, but maybe less than the some of its sort of influences. Stranger Things in general, is the reason that I didn't think that much of it, to be honest, because oh, I right. just thought Stranger Things did it that much better. Fair enough. Just before we go, the, the Blade Runner debate continues. One of our uh, listeners this week saying they were very much on you and uh, David's side of the, uh, of the divide on oh, that. Oh, wow. We'll, we'll, ch- we'll tally that one up then. Yeah. Elena, what, what's your take on Blade Oh, Runner? I didn't like it. You didn't? No, no I thought it Again, was... it's just me. I thought it was just a series of beautiful images, and that was not enough for me. Not enough. But it's better than nothing. I mean, some of the well, it's not better than, heaped on. It's not better than the original, despite what so many people no. are saying. Oh, anyone who says that. So many people are telling me it's better and also like an easier viewing and like more more easier to understand. And I'm like, no, they're Blade wrong. Blade Runner, the original is great. I'd agree with you on that, but I did think, in terms of seeing some beautiful things and really spectacular stuff on a big screen, it did that job. So. I struggle a bit when people are too negative about it because I just think, if you like cinema, this glorious-looking bit of, of art. But yeah, it could have done more, maybe. read a thing this week just talking about the fact that the film's a bit indulgent and a sign of that is, is its runtime, which basically has meant that the cinemas can't show it more than like three times a day. Yeah. And that's massively impacted its box office. Right. And yeah, it's of course. supposedly not going to break even because of that. So, wow. Which is a shame because wow, I like him as a director. I think it'd be good to see him doing yeah, more. Yeah, that's a bit cool. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, on that somewhat downbeat note, that's where we, <laughs> we conclude today's Truth and Movies. Do join us again next time around. For now, this has been a Seven Digital production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.